Good day. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Merged Worlds, the Dungeons & Dragons story podcast stream series. I feel more comfortable saying that. It's reading out better. Welcome. I'm glad you were able to attend. Uh, today, um, it's going to be a little bit of a shorter episode. Today, we're going to be uh, introing what's going to be setting up the next few episodes. So hopefully you will enjoy yourselves. Hello to everybody who's popped in. I see Nightman Gaming, Nightmare Gaming was there. The MT, who has, you're the first one I've seen to get the three-year dice badge after your name as three years of the membership on YouTube. That's pretty awesome. That's the brand new little dice you there. So welcome. Hello, Miss Teresa. And of course, hello, Miss Ashley Cooper. Um, so yeah. Today we're going to be starting up exactly where we left off last episode. I'll do just a real brief uh, recap on that, and then we'll step into the new stuff. This is episode 101, broken into the second 100 episodes. <laughs> Probably getting to 200. I, I don't know. Um, when I look at, and I sat down and, and, and jotted down some notes this week, looking at Emerged World's timeline of what... I know is going to happen in the story. What has to happen to get us to where the real finale of what I originally started with will be. Um, and there's still quite a bit of time between here and there. A lot of story and things I have to set up before we can ever get to that. Um, it's exciting because I know so much of how it's going to end. The ending's been written for years. I know, I know exactly how this storyline finishes. Um, but I'm, I'm still adding and putting new things between here and there to get us from where we are to where I want to be. Um, and I've been asked many times after I conclude that story, will there be more merge rules after that? I, I hope so. I'd like to. Uh, hello, Terry. And <laughs> hello. Um, I, uh, I, I hope to continue telling merge rules as long as people want to hear it. Um, there's a lot of world here uh, that I've created that we've we've never even began to take a look at. We're seeing so much of it now in the, in the children's storyline, but all of what we've seen is is really just a tiny postage stamp on a football field's worth of land uh, and story that's available. So I will hopefully be able to continue doing Merge Worlds as long as you want to hear it. But as for the the main, what everything has always been meant to be, that, there is a point where we will get to that. Um, and that will conclude with kind of what we're looking at right now, right? Kind of what we're looking at the, what is the Seraph storyline story to get to this decision, this choice he has to make and the repercussions of it. That's really what all of this has been about. So, um, we will, I have an end for that. <laughs> and regularly I come up with, with new little things that's awesome. Here's how I can link these two events together to get this to work cohesively. There's still some things in there. Uh, Ashley says, the Tiny Troubles campaign. That's correct. Miss Ashley is part of my uh, live D&D group um, that we play. Uh, Tiny, we call, I call the group the Tiny Troubles because it's a, a short drow elf, a short half elf, two dark dwarves, and a gnome. <laughs> so they're, it's a very, height-wise, it's a very small group. So Tiny Troubles is what I, I call their storyline. And uh, I have some exciting things uh, for them that will... Uh, bleed over into the overall uh, Merge World storyline as well. So hopefully uh, one day you guys will hang around for that. Um, but yeah, yeah. So today's episode will be a little on the shorter side than normal. And for that, I apologize. Today is going to be a whole lot of uh, reading uh, because I wanted to cover some important stuff and I want to make sure I got it right. But uh, where we left off, um, Artis, Petal, Maeve, Ran, and Kip... Uh, succeeded in getting back their belongings. Most importantly, the magical scepter artifact Quintius. Um, and leaving Brota and his community continued east, um, northeast, um, is which direction Quintius is leading them, um, and leading them to what they hope is to finally get back on Seraph's trail. Um, whether that is where Quintius is leading them or not, even Quintius does not know. Again, he gets his orders from on high. Teresa says she's eight more days until three years. Wow. There's a, there's a group of people that kind of all joined up at the same time and have stuck around, and I really appreciate you guys being here that long. That's a long time to hang out listening to me yap about these things. 
I don't know if I could handle listening to my voice that much. I don't know if I could ever go back and listen to these. I've never done that. I've never listened in whole to an episode of Merge Worlds. I, I hear parts while I'm editing and such, but um, real, I've never sat down and just listened to a whole episode. I should go back and listen to episode one. Maybe we could do like a, a, a listen-along or a watch-along stream. I've, people do that with movies and stuff. Maybe we could go back and do something special for something like that, for some type of Merge Worlds anniversary. I should see what day the first episode ever posted. We could do some things with that. <laughs> so, um, but anyways, so they are heading northeast into what will be their next story. Um, it's been a while since we've seen Seraph and his group. They were climbing over some mountains um, to try to, to get away from uh, the threats of <laughs> um, Oramon behind them, uh, and heading west over the or heading east over the mountains uh, to try to escape. So. Both groups, uh, in one way or another, heading east. Where are they relative on the map? Well, they don't know where they are compared to each other. And I do, but I'm not going to tell you. Because uh, it's important later. Um, but they're going to be carrying on. But um, <laughs> why do you think I drink so much when you stream? Understandable. I understand. <laughs> Get a voice changer. That way it, it sounds different. Um, but at the end of last episode, I started telling a little bit of a tale back of the original Merged Worlds characters. Both Mercy and her husband Ulrich were flying Griffin back to the border of what is the Kingdom of Serenity. Um, on the western side, which is where uh, the border of Oramon begins, a group of Oromanians have arrived, including the Emperor himself. The new Emperor, the so-called son of the original Emperor, uh, Marcus Donbrenner, uh, who Mercy had taken the life of uh, by this point, close to 15 to 20 years ago, somewhere in there. Um, it was after Seraph was born, but uh, not, you know, around that time period. Uh, defeated him and his plan to bring the goddess Pandora into physical avatar form on the world itself. Um, and so... The Emperor has come himself to speak to them and asked to meet with them. So they flew over there to do that. Uh, and arriving, uh, they met with the young Emperor, who came himself alone. Not on a horse, just walking. Left all of his men in protection, warriors, all that behind at the camp they'd made, just barely in sight of the keep's walls. And arrived um, confident to be able to speak with them confident that he was not in danger, which is true, because Mercy wouldn't kill him just for existing. He would have to do something untoward or something violent or threatening uh, in order for her to react in such a way. So uh, he came under a banner of peace. She has promised his uh, safe return home. Uh, but they, he entered into the keep and they were going to go speak with him. And that's where we're going to start today, because we're going to spend a little time with the original characters of Merged Worlds before we get back to their children. Uh, because events happen throughout the world that all have parts to play in the grand scheme of the game of the gods that people are currently involved in and with many, many moving pieces. So we're going to see some of that in this next small section of the storyline, which has to deal with our original characters. So I'm going to begin with a fair chunk of reading. Okay? I'm going to jump right into it. It was uncount uncanny how much he looked like his father. He was the spitting image of the man Mercy hated more than anyone, the man whose life she had taken many years ago. He sat across from her now, a smile on his face as he thanked the young man who poured his drink. Without hesitation, he took a sip, no fear of poisoning or foul play at all. <clears throat> he was right to do so. Mercy would never condone, condone such a thing, regardless of the target. He had come under a banner of truce, and as long as he behaved, he was in no danger. The young steward left, leaving the three of them alone. Mercy waited, letting the emperor speak first. Thank you for seeing me, he said. I apologize again for the lack of warning of my visit. My full name, of course, is Marcus Tiberius Dawnbringer III, named after my father and grandfather, and I am the rightful heir and Emperor of Oromon. 
Now, this is information, maybe not the middle name, but this is, this is information that Mercy has. Um, but it's one of those things where he doesn't know how much she knows about the goings-on of Oramon. And at the same time, she'll take any information she can get, because I've stressed in the past that since the new young emperor had taken over, um, information and... Uh, or in many ways, escapee refugees, uh, that had been fleeing Ormon had come to almost a complete standstill, and very little information reached them from the capital. Several of the spies that they'd sent into Ormon that previously lived there, maybe maybe some of them were Ormanians that were paid to inform, um, again, had, there'd been very little to no word. Um, and at the point right, right now, it was already something they were planning on looking at sending more reliable sources in to try to get some of that information. Let me begin by saying I am not my father. I cannot stress this enough. He did not even know that I lived. He commanded my death immediately after my birth. So much so did he fear any rival for his throne. I was hidden away and taken far from him and raised by kind and loving people. It was not until five years ago that I learned of my real identity. So <clears throat> he's saying, hey, <clears throat> I wasn't raised by my father. I'm not the same dude. I was raised by a completely group of people who loved me and treated me great and very likely treated me as their kid. Maybe he thought he was their son or an adopted son or whatever. But he's saying until five years earlier, he had no knowledge that he was the son of the former emperor. He's lived a life. Which in itself, not completely unreasonable. Dina... Same situation, right? In fact, it was Mercy in them that managed to help her escape um, when she was just a baby, along with the caretaker who raised her as her grandfather, so on and so forth. Um, so this is very in line with that same kind of concept. This is not unbelievable to hear. My country was in turmoil. So he goes on without saying where he was or any more information. But basically, I just wanted you to know that is what he's saying. I want you to know I, how, I, how my life was. My country was in turmoil. Factions were at war, fighting for control. Its people used as pawns, or worse, fodder. I gathered those who were loyal and began a campaign to take back my birthright and bring peace back to Oramon. I am happy to say I have achieved that goal, though there is still much to be done. The years of war have left my country in shambles. The economy is nearly destroyed. Rebuilding will take time, but my people are strong, and the hope for the future guides us. So he's saying, hey, it took a lot for me to be able to do that. I found people who were loyal to me, not my father, which, again, if we look at this from the Dina side of story, there would have been people who decided to save him. Perhaps it was his mother that also. Does he and Dina share a mother? This is information that would probably help. I'm going to tell you he doesn't involve any of that right now. Maybe he doesn't know, maybe he does, but he doesn't offer that information. But it's believable that this is something that could happen. She might have made ways for him to escape. And he's been being cared for and taking care of people. Where or how far away? Was he even hidden somewhere in the kingdom? The difference between him and Dina is... The emperor didn't know he was alive. He knows Dina's out there. He's been, you know, he's dead now. But when he was alive, he was trying to get Dina back. Hard. I mean, if you'll remember, he even got the dream circlet and was going into Mercy and, and Darsh and Dandy and Artemis's dreams trying to find out what they knew, where the child had been hidden. He knew she was out there. So if there were a group of people who were set about defending her, protecting her, and keeping her away safe to believe it's possible the same thing was done for this young man. This brings me to the reason for my visit here today. My father's campaign of war has earned Oramon many enemies, the kingdom of serenity the most, and rightly so. My father was an evil man who desired to dominate and control. He warred with the southern kingdoms and was responsible for much suffering. You remember, he was also responsible for the war against um, Paxawal, 
and Corman. He was involved with them and the dwarf. They captured the, or not dwarfs, the, uh, the um, Minotaurs, took the Minotaur Emperor, captured him. Like, he, he made war. That was before Serenity was all full-blown Serenity yet. He was already making war against the Southern Kingdoms. But many of the atro worst atrocities would be what they tried to do up in Serenity. And he's accepting that. He's saying, yes, we underst I understand what my dad did to you guys was trash. But as I said, I am not my father. I have no such desires and want only for my people to thrive once more. In order to do that, we will need allies. I would like to open discussion with the Southern Kingdoms for trade opportunities. Gone are the days when Oromon could stand alone. So I felt it best to start here with Serenity, the country we have wronged more than any other, save perhaps for ourselves. He's like, I know nobody trusts us. We're considered an enemy from everybody in the Southern Kingdoms. So I came here first, the people we screwed over the most. If I can get you guys on my side, if I can get you guys to believe what I'm saying is true, and you can see that I mean this, that's the best thing we could do to get an open door to trade with any of the other kingdoms. Um, and he also admits that as all, with all the bad stuff he's done, his father did to the other kingdoms, what he did to Ormon himself was even worse. Now, I do not expect you to trust me. Honestly, you'd be a fool if you did. I know earning that will be a long, difficult process, and one that I'm committed to. If Oromon is to have any hope of surviving, we have to. So he's saying, my people need help. Now, this is, this is definitely the, the right type of claim for mercy, Right? Mercy's all about helping people. Hell, she's been helping Oromon longer than this kid was, right? Even though by kid, I say he's, he's in his early 20s. I want to stress that in his age. He's probably around 22 or 23 years old, he appears. Um, but he's saying, hey, I'm not here to do bad stuff. I would like to open conversation. I understand you don't trust me. It's going to take a long time to earn your trust. But whatever that takes, I'm committed to doing it. The Emperor fell silent, giving Mercy and Ulrich time to consider his words. Do you still worship Pandora? asked Mercy. Marcus smiled. We do indeed. I know that many consider her a goddess of lies, but to my people, she's the goddess of nine lives, the goddess of change and rebuilding oneself. We believe that we have the chance to become something new, to let the old you die so that you may become better. We live many lives between our birth and death, ever growing and evolving. Pandora is the goddess of redemption. So <clears throat> he's describing Pandora differently. And that's not untoward, right? You can take tale, storage, and point of view of the religions in our own world. Some people view them positively. Some view may view the same one negatively. It just kind of depends on what line you stand on. But he's saying we worship her because the cat goddess gives us a chance to evolve. And no matter what we do, there's that chance to redeem ourselves, to once again find a better path, a stronger path. And that's what I'm searching for for my people. We worship Pandora because she offers that chance of redemption. She doesn't write us off because of whatever atrocities we may have committed. She sees that there's still a chance for anyone to right the wrongs that they do. Now, whether everyone else sees it that way or believes it that way, can't speak to. But that's how Oromon sees her, as a positive goddess. They're like, woohoo, we worship lies. That would be silly. That's, that's never how it is. And, and again, had Mercy in the few uh, in situations they've spoken to people from Oromon, they would have gotten a feel for this as well. The people don't view her as an evil goddess. They view her as a positive, cat-themed goddess uh, of redemption and hope and forgiveness. Um, between birth and death, we live multiple lives. We are this person, and then we become this person, and we become this person. And the person we are when we pass is almost always very different from the person we are when we first came into the world. Things will shape us to become the person we are, and sometimes we are absolutely nothing like what we used to be for good or ill. 
So that's very much the Oromanian view of Pandora, that she gives that type of hope, that type of chance for redemption. Next question. Since you regained leadership, your borders have closed. No travelers or information have passed through, said Ulrich. Mercy was thinking this as well. Marcus sighed. It was necessary. There were still those who wished to return Ormond to the way it was, and some of the leaders of these factions were at large. I needed to assure that these people did not escape, only to grow in power, and then return to threaten us once more. I had to close the border to make sure they did not. But those days are done. We have finally succeeded in weeding out these criminals. Upon returning to the capital, I shall order our, bo our borders opened. Any who wish to leave may do so freely. This, word, uh, sorry. Uh, this world is largely unexplored, and any who wish to do so will be welcome to. Visitors will also be welcome to come. I will order that anyone visiting shall be unmolested and unharassed in any way. I hope that merchants may consider bringing their wares and make them available to my people. It may take a while, but the outside world will come to learn that Ormond is a safe and profitable place to do business. This goes back to what he said earlier. Our economy is in the pooper. It's not good. With the, and Mercy can speak to some of this with the information they do have. Food was very likely going to be scarce. Different parts of the country ruled by different groups of people over time. Now all this has been brought to a standstill. He has to rebuild, but they may not have enough food for people. Well, enough you know, wood and clothing and all the other things they might need. So the ability to buy these things... Oh, i got a blur on my camera here. Let's see if I can fix that. I guess I'm just blurry today. I guess not. Come on, straighten up. Anyway. Um, <laughs> so uh, the chance to... Uh, to provide for his people, he may need to seek outside. You can only imagine that a lot of the what has happened in the last few years was not cheap. It was expensive. The royal coffers could be running low. So any chance they have of selling goods of their own or bringing in goods that they can't afford to make or get a hold of themselves uh, could be overwhelmingly beneficial and profitable for those who wish to deal with them. Again, serenity being the key to kind of getting that all working. Mercy took a moment to consider her words carefully. And what of slavery? She asked. You'll remember that slavery was quite common in Ormond. She and Darst themselves were sold into slavery at one point. Uh, it's a common part of everyday life in Ormond, and a big thing that Mercy is against. Marcus nodded. Only criminals will be sentenced to any kind of servitude and their terms will be reasonable to the severity of their crimes. Each will have the chance to earn their freedom through hard work and good behavior. This has already begun. The arena no longer has anyone forced to fight. Put an end to that. Those that do choose to fight there have chosen to and are paid well. The prizes that we offer attract many who hope to win their fortunes, and the people still have their sport. That's where Darsh and Mercy were sold into. Hey, you're in arena. He's like, I got rid of that. No longer are the people forced to fight for our amusement. Now, people who want to fight can. And that had already existed a little bit. They were called the Freebirds, the people that could come in and out as often as they wanted to. Um, the man who ended up becoming Dina's uncle, you remember, Kurgan the Grey. He was one of those while also being a member of uh, the Resistance, the Ormanian Underground. Um, but he was one of those people. It's how he got information in and out by going, going in, fighting, and leaving whenever he wanted to. So people always had that option. But by offering bigger prizes and awards, a lot of people go in there to participate, hoping to make fortunes. It's more beneficial. And people still get to, you know, it's no different from our world. They get their Sunday night sports, right? They got that thing they can go to to take their mind off their own troubles, something to root for, heroes, champions, favorites that they can have. Uh, people to put some hope into, even though it's something small. And again, probably it doesn't help with gambling either. People wager, things like that. Uh, something else to kind of take people's minds off the troubles uh, of their day-to-day -day lives. 
Now, Ulrich asked several more questions while Mercy listened. Marcus's answers were well-spoken and progressive, promising changes for the better. Still, there was one question she needed answer to, yet she struggled with it. She was afraid she would give, her, give up an upper hand by asking. Still, the need was too great. She could only pray she wasn't making a mistake. And what about Dina? asked Mercy. What are your intentions with her? The room fell silent. Ulrich looked at her surprised. Mercy hadn't told him anything about Dina's true identity. Her friends had agreed to keep it secret, afraid it may cause changes to the future. She hoped they'd forgive her her decision now. She'd have a lot of explaining to do when she got home. Marcus looked at her sadly. Yes, Dina. She too was denied her true identity far too long. While I have eliminated most of the threats within my borders, I still have enemies. Some of them are hunting for her even now, hoping to use her to usurp me. She is in great danger, and I want to protect her, to bring her home. She is the only family I have left in this world. When I find her, I will offer her a place at home in Oromon where she will be safe and want for nothing. If she chooses not to come home, I will give her every protection within my power wherever she chooses to be. I only pray that I find her first. Mercy didn't know if she believed him, or believed him or not, but she did believe Marcus hadn't found her yet, which she assumed was a good thing, both for Dina and for Artis and her friends. There were some further discussions and questions about the state of Oromon and Marcus's plans for the future. No offers were made, and no deals were struck. Marcus didn't ask, and Mercy didn't offer. Finally, the conversation came to an end. So what I mean by that, he hasn't tried to ask for anything specific. Hey, you want to sell us some stuff? You want to buy some of our goods? You want to sign a treaty? You want to come out and get something on paper? He's not asking for any of that. And Mercy's sure as hell not going to bring it up. She's not going to be the one to initiate, well, let's see what, do, what, what we can do with each other. He's testing the waters. And rightfully so, he believes coming himself was the best way to do that. And it's true. Definitely shows conviction. Shows some trust. Dude is standing in the one place that probably wants him dead more than any other, except for maybe some of his own people. But he's sitting here before Mercy, unarmed, saying, hey, I'm just telling you how things are. What I'm looking for, what I'm hoping for the future, and hoping that maybe you can help be a part of that. So we discuss, they go on for several hours talking about things, conversations, uh, asking plans. They probably ask some specific information about the factions. And I will say that any question they, an they asked, Marcus answered. Um, and every answer he gave, he gave seemed true. There was nothing where he seemed shifty or like he was hiding back. Everything he said appears very true. At least that he believes it. And that can, that's important. That's a very important distinction. Between the truth and what you believe to be the truth. If you believe something to be the truth, then that is the truth to you. And you will speak with that same conviction. And Mercy's smart enough to know this. She's a ruler. He very much seems to believe everything he is saying to her right now. But she knows there's a lot of evil influence in Ormon. So she's very, very cautious. But she's listening. So as I said, eventually, after several hours of talking, words start to dwindle off. It's getting clear they're getting to the end of their conversation. I know trust will take a long time to build, said the young emperor. I hope you are willing to let us try. To show you my intentions and true, I will be ordering all of my troops from this border. I will keep no military strength in this region at all. I am confident... You have no ill intentions for my people. So he's saying, this is how much I'm, I'm willing to show you I trust you guys. I'm pulling all my military might. All of it. 
You're not going to see any troops moving on the border. This is just basically be an open border on my side. People want to leave? Come on through here to your people. If you want to take them, that's fine. I am literally leaving this part of my border unmanned, trusting that you have no intention to come on in and try to take any of my property. Because Mercy never has, right? If there's been opportunities, she could have extended her border years ago. There was never a huge military might up here as it was. But he's saying, I'm going to pull all of my military out. On top of that, he says, to be honest, I can use them elsewhere. And begins to say some of those things we talked about a moment ago. There is still some issue with feeding everyone and making sure that crops get where they need to be so that people are fed. I'm most of my excess, most of our might is not about protecting us from the outside any longer. It's protecting us inside from criminals, making sure that brigands and uh, criminals, thieves don't steal those things that are meant to help and feed my people. Um, so right now I need people on the roads protecting caravans, protecting farmsteads, granaries, mines, anything that would be considered a resource that would be needed to keep the country alive. That's where my defenses need to be. Because there's still, you know, while I've weeded out most of what I, he believes, I've weeded out most of the, the main heads of criminals. Some probably got out. Some may still be hiding in there. He's confident that there's at least some factions out there trying to get Dina for themselves. We've seen Oramon come after Dina. But it is hard to know exactly who they were working for. In fact, the only comment we ever had from even one of them is when, before Seraph killed the man, he said, he wants her, and there's nothing you can stop it. He's going to get her. That very much sounds like something the Emperor of Oramon would say, but is it necessarily? There are a lot of players in this game. Literally, this game of gods. So, I will have to get a little more info on that. But, that's the information he's passed on to Mercy, anyways. Uh, let's see here. With your permission, I would like to send an ambassador here for future discussions. It would be difficult for me to make this journey often. Though, should you need me to, I will find a way to do so. I'd like to send an ambassador here, because I can't be here all the time. If you remember, it's weeks' journey to get back to the main city. This whole time he's gone, those factions could be working against him. Several weeks here, several weeks back, plus the time he's here. He's been here a couple days, right? That's a lot of time to leave your threatened throne open, you know? So he's like, I can't do this every Tuesday, but if you really need me to come back for something, I will find a way to do it. You let that ambassador know that I need to be here, something God talked to me in purpose, I will find a way to make that happen. That's how committed I am to showing you I want peace between us. An ambassador will be welcome and will be given space, says Ulrich. You have given us much to think on today. Marcus shook Ulrich's hand, and I appreciate your willingness, sorry, your willingness to speak with me. I pray this will be the beginning of a friendship between our two nations. Marcus then extended his hand to Mercy. Mercy hesitated a moment, then accepted the handshake. We hope for a brighter future as well was all she could say. Mercy and Ulrich escorted Marcus back to the front gate. Final pleasantries were given, and Marcus promised the ambassador would arrive in a couple of months. Again, weeks back, weeks here. Take some time. Mercy watched Emperor Marcus Tiberius III of Oramon walk through the gates and proudly make his way back to his, people's, back to his people alone. He did not look back or hurry his step. He was a man of confidence. They watched until he'd faded from view, before anyone spoke. What do you think? asked Ulrich finally. I don't like it, said Mercy. It's all too... convenient. He told us everything we would ever want to hear. Whether any of it is true or not, I don't know. But I don't trust him. Is it him you don't trust? Or his father? asked Ulrich. Until I know for sure what he says is true or not, they are one in the same, Mercy replied. 
But for now, there are things you and I must discuss in private. There are things you need to know. So, I don't want to give the illusion that Ulrich's like, I believe him, but she's like, he's, you know, he's asking her. I mean, Ulrich is the king, but Mercy runs the place. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's always been that way. She was queen long before they were together. Um, so it's one of those things where he's like, hey, what do you think? And are you sure you're not trusting him, or is it just the memory of everything you've been through with Ormond and the horribleness that was his father that's making you hesitant? Well, what she said is true. Wow, he told us everything we would ever want to hear. Right? Those were all positive things. If an evil kingdom was taken over by a good person, that is everything we would want that good person to do. Is it true? We don't know yet. It's too soon to tell. But then she finished with, we have to go have a conversation. There are things you need to know. Step into the next section. Draven stood up from the table. Turning, he walked to the door and left the room without saying a word. Artemis sat there, fighting back, back her tears, not knowing if he would ever forgive her. Lyra, Michael, and Kara sat there in stunned silence as well. They were gathered in Mercy's war room, along with Mercy, Ulrich, Quan, Dandy, and Darsh, who, along with Lyra, had traveled through the mirror to attend this meeting. They now knew the truth. They'd been told everything. What the Emperor had said, the truth of Dina's identity, and most importantly, who the man in the hat was and what he told them. Draven had clearly taken it the hardest, and with good reason. He'd spent 20 years hunting a man, only to just now hear that man was not the real threat. The others were upset as well, though more understanding. There were questions, many of them. Mercy, Artemis, Dandy, and Darsh did their best to answer them honestly. By the end, everyone knew all there was to tell, except for the identity of the Black Rose. That Artemis kept to herself. This was not the time for that revelation. So they've decided the time has come that they need to tell their spouses what's going on with the kids, the whole story. Because up until this point, they had kept it to themselves. Quan knew most of it because his son was involved. They had brought Quan in. You'll remember, we talked about that. Brought Quan in, they're like, hey, there's some stuff we've got to talk to you about. Some things you need to know. And you're the only one we're extending this knowledge to right now. And convinced him, hey, when the time comes and our kids go to leave, we think you need to let Rand go too. So he knew most of it as well. Probably some bits and pieces that uh, you know weren't as overwhelmingly important, but now everyone's been filled in. With Oromon being here and the Empire and the history they have, Plus, the time has gone by, and the knowledge that, for sure, the Emperor does know Dina exists, but they don't believe he's found her yet. They need to know exactly what their children are going to be involved in. That meant telling everyone, including Draven, who has dedicated his life to finding and killing the man in the hat to save his son's life. And now he knows the man in the hat is Deacon from the future and that he is kind of here to kill him but with different reason. That's going to put a lot of pressure on Draven. So I want you to think about that. The last words he and Seraph spoken were in anger. The last thing Seraph said to him was you will never lay your hands on me again after throwing Draven through the air and smashing him into a bookshelf with Overwhelming ease, I might add. Which caused Seraph, Deacon, and Mugen to flee that night. He's out there now, involved in all this. And the last thing Draven had with him is, is that angry interaction. You, you know he's got to be kicking himself, because had he known the truth, he might have been like, okay, go. 
Or hell, I'll go with you. Let's go find her. That would mean a very different situation. And in this moment, he's feeling robbed of that opportunity. Had I known, that would have played out very differently. Maybe, with my help, Seraph and Dina would be back home by now. So he took that the very hardest. After hearing everything, he just got up and walked out of the room. Didn't say a word. It's not easy to deal with. Sorry, thirsty. Do we know where they are? Has there been any contact at all? Asked Lyra. I remember Lyra is Darsh's wife. No, replied Darsh. Not since the Miss Dandelion left Port and Corman. They went east, but from there we don't know where or how far. And all of this is from a prophecy? The gods are playing with our children for a game? Asked Kara. So Kara, I said Kara there a second ago, it's Kara. Kara is Quan's wife, Rand's mother. We haven't seen her a whole lot. She's popped up a couple times in their interactions, but um, deserves to know it just as much as everyone else. Of course, they brought her in too. They're trusting her a lot, but they trust Quan implicitly, and there's no reason they should not to. Yes, it would seem the fates of our children are bound to seraphs. One day his choice will determine the fate of the world, said Quan, because he already knew that. Now what that choice will be, what decision he will have to make, we do not know, added Mercy. Until then, there is nothing more that we can do but move forward. This new Oromon is a concern. It's all too connected with Dina and the children to be just a coincidence. There's a reason he's contacting us now, and we must learn what that is. Quan took Kara's, Kara's hand. Keep saying her name wrong. I will be going west into Oromon, as will several others. We need more information about what's really going on there, and I don't trust many others more than myself. So Quan's saying, hey, we were already talking about sending people in. Only a few people know about the Blackwing, right? That's the, that's the spy section that Quan leads. Um, very few people in the kingdom know about that. Everybody in this room does, including Kara. Kara. Oh my god, I keep saying her name wrong. I'm so mad at myself. Kara. I know a Kara, and I don't know why. And I knew Kara before I named Kara. It's throwing me off. I apologize. <laughs> but uh, she knows... He would have brought her into that knowledge, you know, being married with a kid. Hey, I'm going to be gone for four months because I'm disappearing on a spy mission. She has to know a little bit about that. Probably not all of the details. Probably doesn't tell her what he finds out and everything. But she has to know that, hey, he's involved. Maybe not even know he's in charge. She knows he's in charge. But, you know, that kind of thing. So he's like, we need more information. And I'm the best at, what, uh, best at this type of thing. I'm going in. Several other people that work under me in Blackwing who, again, only Mercy and Ulrich know who those people are. Nobody else does, besides Quan. Quan finds these people, or Quan's people find these people, and they're brought into this. They're regular people living about their day in serenity, although I can assure you there are a couple of them that live their day-to-day -day in Oromon currently. But these are just regular people with regular lives for all intents and purposes. But what they are is members of Blackwing and they go from time time away to get information. And the spying's not always on Oromon, I would like to say. Sometimes you have to keep an eye on your friends, not just your enemies. Horrible thing to have to do, horrible thing to have to say. But as leaders in charge of protecting large amounts of people, as Mercy and Ulrich are, these decisions sometimes have to be made. It was clear Kara did not I said it right the time. Kara didn't like the news, but understood the importance of such a mission. We must reach out to the other kingdoms as well, making them aware of Ormond's words, and to see if they too have been contacted, said Darsh. Ormond may still be a threat, and if so, they need warned. What about King Firemoon? asked Michael. Does he know of Deacon's fate? That's a big question. Have you told King Firemoon, someone you consider a good friend and an ally, that down the road his son will be turned into a vampire? 
I mean, that's that's a that's a heavy load to throw on a dad after dinner one day. Hey, by the way, I forgot to tell you this. Your son's going to die and come back as a vampire because her son's going to suck his neck. How do you tell somebody that, right? That's a, that's a load of information. No, said Artemis. He knows none of this. While he needs to know of Oramon, we think it's best he not be told the rest. Deacon, future Deacon, made it clear the more who know, the greater danger we will all face in the future. And he did. He said, listen, you guys need to keep this to yourselves. Because the more people who know this, the less likely they're going to do what they would have done naturally before. We just talked about that a minute ago. Draven is the best example of that. The entire timeline of everything that's happened from the moment Seraph left Serenity would have been vastly different if his father had been with him. 100%. From the moment they hit Arduel to every problem they've, already, they've ever run into. Seraph's, or Seraph's dad being there with his strength and his experience and his contacts, right? Got a lot of those too. He traveled the world quite a bit in the early days of Merged Worlds trying to find his own brother to slap around. He was a bad guy, though. It was okay. That would have changed the entire line that Seraph would have walked and definitely would have very likely had some type of uh, effect on his decision in the future. The same with every other person they do. Now, every time Lyra, Kara or Michael have an interaction, they have to think in the back of their head, wait, wait, how would this affect the future? No, I can't think of it that way, but I do. You can't turn that off. And out of those three, who do you imagine is now going to be rethinking every moment of their life? If you said Michael, you are correct. Because Michael, other than Artemis, is the only other person in that room who knows that Dandy is also the Black Rose. This may cause things he knows about her, things she's done or said, to be looked at very differently now. Because if Dandy knows, he has to assume Black Rose knows about all of this as well. And how has she perhaps involved herself into this? Well, we know that she has to some degree because she sent Kip in there. We know Kip is working for her. Mm. The Black Rose has that knowledge as well. Would the Black Rose have sent Kip in if Dandy didn't know that uh, Bion the Hat and all this so on and so forth was going to happen? It's hard to tell. At the same time, future Deacon didn't warn against it. Does that mean it doesn't matter? Or does that mean Kip was never meant to be a part of that group? And that's completely changed everything. So much for people to think about. Now, Michael doesn't know about Kip. I can tell you that. He doesn't know that Kip is working for the Black Rose. Only the Black Rose and Vincentius know about that. But, or not so Vincentius, Ventolio. Wrong V name. Ventolio. Ventolio knows about that. Ventolio, Ventolio is one of her thorns. Remember, she has three thorns. Ventolio, Cat, and a third mystery one. It's never been named. I know who it is, though. Of course, I write these things. I'm very sneaky. So, so where we are. Michael's having to think about that. Lyra, Kara, not as much. Most of the interactions they had wouldn't have changed. They may now in the future... That is, if they ever have the chance to speak to their children again. And now who knows? Now they have to worry, hey, we're worried our kids are out there to often help Seraph do his thing. But now we know Oramon's out there. Other factions of Oramon, good or bad, are out there. The gods are playing with their lives, and the gods have chosen players. There are people out there who actively want to affect Seraph's choice. What they don't know any of those people want to kill him. Never talked about that. What if there are gods 
who don't want Seraph to make the choice at all. How much extra danger are their children now because of that? Now they know. So there's conversations. They talk about all this. They get everything on the table. They throw it all out there except for the identity of Black Rose. Although you can be sure Michael and Artemis sure will look at one point. Draven knows about her too, but he left. So no worries there. For right now anyway. Once everybody's had answered all their questions, they've talked about everything. They, they believe that they've got it down. They kind of call the meeting to an end. Everyone's going to kind of return to their homes or to their quarters. Darsh and Lyra will be spending the next month here in Serenity. You'll remember, if you pass through the mirror, you can't pass through it again for 30 days. That's part of the magic of the mirror that is in Darsh's home, in his secret room, and that is here in Serenity, in Mercy's secret room, down underneath the castle. This is help them and hurt them in the past. So now that they've come through, they can't come home for 30 days. So this is a 30-day trip. Maybe something will keep them around a little longer. But they're here now. So they are given quarters. There's probably rooms that are specifically set aside for Darsh. There is, I can tell you for sure. There's one room that only Darsh or other Minotaurs get to stay in. Because it's built for them. There are probably a couple of them, as much as they deal with Minotaurs and such. Um, but you can imagine that. Jorn has shown up. There are several rooms with Minotaur-sized beds and tables. There have been a couple of rooms, maybe four of them set aside that are minotaur-sized and shaped. In a pinch, they could use them for a human, but boy, it's going to feel weird. You feel like a little kid in an adult's room kind of thing. <laughs> it would be a little offsetting for the average person. Because um, minotaurs are very big, in case, in case any of you didn't know that. Very tall. That's why That is one reason why Serenity's doors are larger than normal. The doors to almost any room, except for like closets and storages and stuff, are bigger than the average castle's door, specifically because they're friends with tall people. They would have thought about that. That would have been a consideration when Mercy had the keep designed. The temple, to a slightly smaller degree, but definitely the keep. So everybody goes back to their room. Darsh and Lyra go back. Uh, Quan and Kara go back to their home, which is within, within the city's... 20 minute horse ride they go back home Dandy and Michael go back home Artemis goes back to the temple alone you can imagine all of them are going to have further conversations that might be a little more heated now that there's not other people around but uh, why'd you keep that for me kind of thing but they're going to go back and have some time to discuss Ulrich at this point already knows Ulrich got told back at the keep Mercy told him before they flew back, and it's like, listen, we got to get everybody else together. And he's like, yeah, I agree. Everybody else needs to know this, too. So this isn't the first time he's heard it. He's had probably a couple days, because Darsh would have had to make arrangements to be here. So it's probably like at least a week since they returned from the, uh, the border with Oromon. So seven days have gone by. Not a long time. But it's going to take at least a little bit of time for Darsh to make arrangements to get here. He spends most of his time on Darshtopia now, so it would have been more just making arrangements with Jorn to look after everything, and his son, who uh, also uh, is running a large part of the business at this point. His eldest son, uh, Maeve's twin, older by just a couple minutes. But Artemis returns home. Escorted, of course, She's always escorted by Templars who've been waiting outside. And as she walks through the street, it's a slow process, even on a horse. If she's walking or horses, whatever she feels like. Everybody wanting to wave and say hi and, you know, talk to her and such, ask for a blessing, that type of thing. She's a, a very holy icon who you don't see out of the temple that often. She spends most of her time in the temple. So the spouses have a chance to talk and so on and so forth. Artemis returns to her temple. So when she gets home, she makes her way back up to her quarters, which are on the higher floor. She has several rooms that are hers, and Saris is just down the hall. And there's, uh, she has her own living room type thing, bookshelves that Draven got thrown into, and then there's a bedroom and such, and waiting room, little kitchen area, whatever. She's got her own little room there, own little set of rooms. And the whole time, she's hoping that when she walks into her rooms, she'll find Draven there. Her heart breaks just a little when she walks in and sees Tevin sitting there instead. She smiles best she can. You can see that obviously it's it's a weak one. Artemis being the hardest to hide her emotions. 
comes and sits on the couch next to Tabby. He hopped up and nodded and whatever, sat down. And he, she looks at him and says, he's gone, isn't he? Tevin nods. Yes. Draven left just a little while ago. He took some of his things. And he's left for a while. I don't know when he'll be back. And she said, he says, I don't know exactly what happened. He didn't tell me much. Only that everything he thought was a lie. And he's still trying to make sense of it. And he needed time. Artemis grows a little angry at this. And states so. And yet he couldn't find the strength to say goodbye. Let me know this himself. And Tevin, who knows Draven in some ways even better than Artemis does, but in some ways not. Next to Artemis, definitely knows better than anyone else. Says Draven feared what he would say. He is, well, I'm going to be honest, I don't think I've ever seen him this angry. And he did not want to speak to you with this type of anger inside of him. Um, he just told me to tell you that he will be gone for a while, but he did not say for how long. Artemis accepts this and thanks Tevin for giving him the message, for giving her the message, of course. Thank you very much for telling me this. And Tevin, of course, you're welcome. I appreciate that. And gets up as if to leave to give her some time. And Artemis asks, and how is your son doing? Tevin can't help it. A big smile shows up on his face. He's doing wonderful, my lady. Again, I cannot thank you enough for letting us stay here in the temple. I would have been very challenged taking care of him on my own. And the help that you've given um, and, and, and the other clerics have given in this situation has been most appreciated. Thank you. She said, of course. You are welcome to stay here as long as you want. Because Tevin did. He moved into the temple with his son as soon as he was able to pack up and get him there, fighting through that storm. Because he was like, hey, I don't know anything about raising a baby. Right? Because he doesn't. He doesn't know anything about that. He was 11 when he went on this quest. Way back at the beginning. Right? Went on this quest with Artemis and them. Went through the portal with Draven to Draven's homeworld when he was at 11. Spent the next 40 to 50 years on that world fighting for survival. Again, I want to point out, dude looks like he's in his late 20s, early 30s at the very most. He ages very slowly because of he was basically Draven's juice box for a little while. I'm just saying, he didn't turn him into a vampire, but it had an effect. It's how Draven stayed healed on that world. And birthings and such are very rare on Draven's planet. Because people are so long-lived, um, longer than elves. I've stressed that. Draven's people live longer than elves. Which is in the thousands of years at this point. Can't be throwing out a million babies every year. You're going to destroy your your world. You're not going to have enough resources to take care of them. So there is much care and decision before bringing a child. He's probably never had to deal with it the whole time he was there. Him and Draven fighting to find a way back and to take control of that world and fight against his brother's forces and everything they had to go through. So now he's back home. He's probably helped in the temple a little bit, maybe with the birthing processes and things. He's a He is a cleric of healing and such. But never the aftermath of having to raise one, he knew he was out of his depths. So he packed up his little boy, and he came to the temple, the place he knew that he'd be the safest and would have the best people to help him. Because temple's a temple cleric of healing, right? Cleric of light. Cleric of healing specifically, that's who you go to when you're having a baby, if you're not going to do it yourself, right? Midwives and things. Many of those in the temple, trained by the temple, Right? Because if they're clear to healing, they also know the natural remedies and such as well. Salves and uh, cures and things of that nature. Midwives and, and natural healers who may not be clerics would still come to train, uh, learn things about healing, maybe even purchase uh, uh, components, not for spells, mind you, but for actual healing things, or just buy the healing stuff, salves and stuff themselves. And some will come here to sell those goods, rarer goods, to the temple. So there'll be people here who can help. 
And so Tevin and his son have been living here um, now for close to nine or ten months at this point. So the baby is just maybe a couple months shy of his first year. Tevin has always had a room here in the temple that was his when he came and stayed. And sometimes he'd stay for weeks or months, and sometimes he was gone for six months living in their little cabin in the woods, which is where he prefers to be. And in time, his hope would be to move back there with his son so he can start teaching him more of the ways of the wild and survival and that type of thing, because this boy's old enough, he's going to need that type of training as well. He's a tribal, after all. But he has been staying there at the temple in the time being. So he does thank Artemis very much for all the help and such and the giving. And Artemis himself, herself, has probably stepped in and helped in situations. Uh, it's like, I don't know how to make him stop crying. How do I feed a baby? <laughs> you know, these are things he's like, I've never had to deal with this. It's, it's a lot of stress. He didn't know the baby was coming. He had no warning. He's like, here, baby, bye, I'm leaving. Cat's gone. So stressful. They have a little bit more conversation and then... Devin can see Artemis needs to be alone, so he wishes her a good evening and then leaves. Because this is late in the evening when this meeting happened. Tevin leaves, leaving Artemis alone in her room. Artemis sat next to the window and looked up at the starry sky. Her son was out there somewhere. Safe, she hoped. Now her husband was gone as well, and she did not know if the damage done would ever be repairable. She prayed to Tavian and the other gods of light. Please bring her two men home safely. She would give anything and everything to have her family back. Artemis sat there for hours under the light of the pale moon, lost in her tears and sorrow. And that is where we're going to end for today. So, the big thing I want to take away from today are two things. Oromon has now stepped back into the active picture of Serenity's life. You know, Mercy was already preparing for what she assumed was going to be a war, but now she has to prepare for something else, or not. Could still be a war. She's still very suspicious of this new young Emperor Marcus, and they need information. At the same time, they made that decision to share with the rest of the family the truth behind the man in the hat. Hopefully this will help uh, them choose the right paths moving forward, although in Artemis's situation it may have fractured what was left of her family. The future in that area has yet to be determined. I can tell you that in two weeks when we have episode 102, which will be the next episode, we will still be with this group a little bit longer. There's still some story to tell about what's going on with these guys before we return to the children. Some time is going to pass before we jump back into the kids' story. So I hope you guys are prepared for a little bit more adventure on this side and a little bit more chance for our uh, favorite original heroes to once more have the opportunity to shine. Okay? <laughs> but that is going to do me for today we were a little, just a little over an hour and I, I told you this one's going to be a little bit shorter today because last two were extra long uh, but I do appreciate you all coming and listening to my story again hopefully you'll uh, enjoy the next 100 as much as I hope you enjoyed the last 100 hell if you listen to 100 episodes you gotta like it a little bit I mean come on now that's just too much to invest in if you weren't having fun so hopefully you'll give me a chance to keep telling this story uh, you can also find this story not just here on YouTube where I live stream it and the video uh, logs exist but you can also find it on iTunes, Spotify Amazon Podcasts and all the places you get your podcasts if you have an Am uh, iTunes or Spotify account it would be super cool if you would consider giving us a follow over there as well and you know the five stars and the likes and a review would be awesome uh, it definitely helps the uh, podcast find more viewers the more feedback it gets so I would really appreciate it if you take a couple seconds uh, to give it a little bit of feedback. Uh, it would help a lot. Uh, and of course, be sure to click like here, even if you're watching this 10 years down the road. It helps the channel and lets me know that you're liking the story, uh, which I think you are. I'm enjoying telling it, and hopefully you're enjoying listening. Okay? Well, that is going to do me for today. I will be back here again in two weeks for probably a little bit longer of an episode, uh, but some more action and adventure back in the kingdom of Serenity. Okay? 
I hope you folks have a wonderful rest of your week. And hopefully I will see you again very soon. All right? You all have yourselves a great evening. Thank you.